0: One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases. And it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. So now that we've talked about some of the initial targets and goals when you're trying to lose body fat and gain muscle, let's move on now and talk about uh, how do we decide between whether or not we want our primary fuel source to be carbohydrates or fats. You know, back in, oh gosh, I'm gonna guess at this, probably the 1980s, 1990s, uh, Dr. Barry Sears wrote a book called The Zone Diet, where he uh, basically promoted um, an even split between protein, fats, and carbs with a little bit more emphasis on carbohydrates. And his claim was that this would balance uh, inflammatory compounds called eicosanoids and prostaglandins. And to be honest, a lot of people got a lot of benefit from eating that way. The problem is, and he has a website, he has a company that, you know, they make protein bars and snacks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a A lot of the things that he puts into the foods that he sells online um, are pro-inflammatory. They're things like soy protein isolate, which you know, certainly be, can, can be problematic uh, if it's not fermented and consumed in high quantities, can be problems for men who are trying to lose weight. So it's not my, my favorite way to do things. Now we are several decades beyond that. Lots of research has happened uh, in the world of weight loss, uh, control of inflammation, things like blood sugar, the things that go into things like obesity, cardiovascular risk. Um, And so we've kind of started to clear the smoke screen. And I'm not saying that we have all the answers and hopefully in two years, I'll be telling you something different because I'll be a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser. And we'll have a couple of more years of practice as well as research behind us to say, okay, well, what we did was working great, but now we know something better. And that's just the nature of clinical practice. It's also the nature of science and the nature of research. But there are, I will say as a general rule, unless you're dealing with someone who is a high-performing weekend warrior or certainly a competitive athlete, that the most advantageous approach to gaining fuel source or, or splitting fuel choices between fats and carbohydrates, the most advantageous choice is going to be to minimize carbohydrates and to maximize the intake of healthy fats. Now, remember, this part of the conversation is coming only after we've done other things, like setting your calorie goals and setting your protein intake, which we said was gonna be based on current research and protein intake that maximizes muscle protein synthesis. And you can go back and listen to the last episode or discussion if you wanna get some, some numerical targets to look at that. But nevertheless, when you start, like we we live in an era right now where things like low carb and the keto diet have made a big resurgence. You know, I mentioned Dr. Sears. Well, before Dr. Sears wrote his book, there was a guy named Atkins and Atkins was a revolutionary in his time and he was counter-cultural in terms of uh, promoting a dietary intake of protein and fat without carbohydrates that was completely opposed to everything that the medical community and the scientific community was saying should be done. That was back in the era where everything was about avoiding fat, fat was bad, it was going to kill you, it was gonna cause heart disease and stroke, and what you needed to do was cut out your fat and eat more carbohydrates. Well, the exact opposite of what we wanted to happen actually happened, all the things we wanted to prevent actually increased under those parameters. And so obviously there was a problem. But you know, as, as smart as Atkins was in his day in terms of uh, promoting a higher fat, higher protein diet and minimizing or totally eliminating carbohydrates, uh, he wasn't the first one to do that. Uh, the first studies on what we call the ketogenic diet we're back from the 1920s, I believe 1923, somewhere around there, where the ketogenic diet was first implemented for children who had refractory seizures. These were kids with epilepsy that didn't respond to medications, and what they did respond to was removing carbohydrates from their diet to the point where their bodies were uh, relying on body fat as a fuel source, but also fat taking taken in from the diet and that tended to stabilize epileptic seizure in the brain and all of a sudden kids who were having multiple seizures a day were living relatively normal lives. And now that kind of got lost, certainly as the decades went on and we merged into the 70s and into the 80s and beyond, that kind of thinking and that kind of nutritional strategy, if you will, got lost in the clamor of the low-fat, high-carb craze. Well, all of a sudden it started to raise its ugly head again. Uh, several years ago and uh, honestly I don't know who was responsible for doing it but thank God somebody did because now we're returning to um, what really can be considered a more ancestral way of eating. In fact if you look at at different ancestral nations or ethnicities around the world including the the Inuit of uh, North America, they subsist. Their diet primarily consists of things like fish and, and whale oil Um, And they eat periodically small amounts of berries and things that they can forage when everything's not frozen and full of snow. And yet, they have an amazingly low rate of dental disease, cardiovascular disease. They just don't have the health issues that people uh, around us have in modern societies. And so, even though we can say the ketogenic diet started back in the early 1900s, this type of eating where it's predominantly animal protein and healthy fats, and then honestly, a lot of it is is saturated fats, uh, which again is not the enemy, despite things that you may have heard for pretty much your entire life. Um, but nevertheless, this type of eating has been around for thousands of years, right? And people, and not just people, but large groups of uh, ethnic groups and communities absolutely thrive when doing that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that being keto is the end all be all solution for everybody. And I say that because, you know, in my own practice and the people that I've worked with, and also having discussions with the doctors that I've lectured to over the years who are also doing similar things in their practices throughout the US, Canada, and Europe is that we, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to get going together and say, hey, we're doing this, you're doing that, let's get together and share ideas so that we all can kind of get better, as they say, rising tides lift all boats. And so what we've realized in trying to implement these low-carbon ketogenic diet strategies is that we can stratify or divide people into different response categories. There There are some people that can eliminate carbohydrates or greatly reduce them the point that they become ketogenic very quickly and they get better from day one and they get better and better and better and better there's like no downside to them there are there's another group who might struggle for a short period of time to adapt to low-carb living or being uh, ketogenic uh, but once they get over the hump so to speak you might have heard of something like the keto flu once they get over the hump uh, then they feel dramatically better and then there are others who consistently struggle every time they drop their carbohydrates below a certain level they don't feel better until they add some carbohydrates back into their diet and and so me and all of my colleagues have to deal with this clinical reality. On one hand, wouldn't it be great if we had a one size fits all solution that magically made everybody better and accomplished all of our goals? Well, that would be fantastic. It would just be easy to administer either in your own life or in a clinical setting. But the reality is, is that not everybody wants to be low carb. Not everybody adapts to low carb. And so we have to be a little bit flexible and we have to meet people where they are. And so, Before we even talk about limiting carbohydrates and and why we might want to do that, this idea that everybody needs to be low carb or keto is not necessarily true. Now, can you work most people into a state where they adapt and function well with low carb or keto? Yeah, I believe you can. Uh, Sometimes it's a long road and sometimes it's an uncomfortable one and you have to have somebody who's willing to engage in that process and do a little bit of trial and error because there are really no tests that say, hey, do it this way, do it now, do it now this way. And so what I've ended up with over the years is coming up with a concept that I call the carbohydrate sweet spot. Um, Or let me say it another way, when I teach doctors and we get to the point where we're in a seminar and we're talking about diet, particularly uh, controlling carbs and prioritizing healthy fats, I put it to them this way. For most of my clients, and I suggest doctors look at it this way as well, I want them eating the lowest amount of carbohydrates that they can function well on. And that means no hunger, good energy their brain functions well, and they don't have any cravings. And so again, we find that there's a point where some people they drop below a certain number and then they're tired or they have brain fog or they're craving and hungry all the time. And we add some carbs back and all of a sudden they stabilize. And so the concept of the carbohydrate sweet spot, and to be honest, it's still considered a low carb diet compared to the amount of carbohydrates the average North American is consuming. Let me just give you some numbers the average North American eats 250 to 300 grams of carbohydrates per day. And that's a fair amount, particularly if you start getting used to a low-carbohydrate diet. So the carbohydrate sweet spot um, sits somewhere between 75 grams of carbs on the low end and 125 grams on the high end. And so if, as one of my goals or one of my client's goals, weight loss and improving their metabolic condition is... that's part of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, As we look at their diet, we start with how many calories they need, we set their protein based on our goals, which may or may not include resistance training and adding muscle mass, just depends on the circumstance. And then the next thing we do is say, let's limit your carbohydrates. Let's start on 125 grams a day and see how you do. And if you do okay for a while, then we're gonna go from 125 to 100, and then let's see how you do. And if you're stable, and you're thriving and you're able to do everything that you want to do, and again, you have no hunger, your energy is good, no cravings, and your brain is working well, then let's keep stair-stepping down in 20 or 25 gram per day increments until we hit a point where either you're in ketosis and you're ketogenic now or something crashes and we have to bring you back up again. And I find that 75 to 125 gram Uh, Spectrum or range to be kind of that sweet spot where most people do well. And once they stabilize, and it depends on how many other goals we're trying to accomplish, once we get them in the sweet spot and they're doing well, then we might make the decision to stay there for a while or forever, or we may start to explore uh, dropping, say from 75 to 50, 50 to 30, and now are we ketogenic, and what benefits do we have now compared to when we were in the carbohydrate sweet spot? So um, I guess I went into the carbohydrates a little bit more than I had intended, which means in the next discussion, uh, we'll probably finish that off, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about fats. It's, it's Honestly, it's very difficult to talk about carbohydrates without talking about fat because those are alternate fuel sources. And typically, think of it this way, uh, think of it, they're on, on different sides of a teeter totter. So as one goes up, the other one should go down. So as a general rule, if you're prioritizing healthy fats, you need to eat fewer carbohydrates. And if there's a compelling reason for you to prioritize healthy carbohydrates, you need to minimize um, healthy fats, but there's a certain amount of fat that you actually need for things like control of inflammation, as well as contributing to hormone balance and control. But we'll finish that conversation in the next discussion. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnosworthy.com. That's drnosworthy.com. To explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.